Pastor Todd, we're glad you're with us this morning as we dive into the Word of God. We've been going through the book of Ephesians for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue that today as we look at our theme, which is called Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly, trying to live according to our eternal riches that we have in Jesus, and also striving to be godly based on those riches. So that's where we get our theme. We're going to find ourselves today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. We're going to overlap a little bit from where we were last week. If you have your Bibles, please join us there. But I'll ask you a question as you're getting there to Ephesians chapter 4. Did you ever have to learn the hard way that you needed help to do something? We've all been there, right? You might remember this, but about five or six months ago, I had to learn this lesson. Uh, about five or six months ago, I was... We had, we had this, we were upgrading our bed or our mattress and uh, we had this really old mattress and box spring and they just needed to go away. They just needed, they'd, we had them since the Bronze Age and uh, it was just time for an upgrade. So we got a new mattress and box spring and things like that and we had to throw the old box spring away. And I, I don't know why I thought this, but I honestly thought the box spring, I could do this myself. Um, I, I knew mattresses were hard to move because they're cumbersome and unwieldy and and I thought the box spring, though, should be no problem. It shouldn't fight me that much. So what we actually did is for a while before it was garbage day, because we didn't want to just put it out there to the curb for like five days, we put it in our back deck. And then the plan was the night before garbage day to take this box spring and move it up by our garbage cans. Well, during that time, kind of like it did today, it rained. And our box spring got a little waterlogged. <laughs> but it was time for the garbage to go out. And the box spring, I believed the garbage guys would take. So I had to take the box spring and move it to where the garbage cans was. And I, I honestly thought, it, how bad could it be? You know, how bad could this thing be? And it was on the top of our deck. I had to bring it down the flight of stairs from our deck to the patio. Then I had to swing it around the house and bring it up a really steep driveway by myself with an old decrepit box spring that was probably waterlogged and maybe had a couple creatures living inside of it. But uh, this was a bad idea. This was a bad idea because, honestly, for a while I was okay because I had gravity helping me on the way down from the deck. You know, I was able to navigate it down the stairs without a lot of problem. The problem was is when I got to our really steep driveway, it had to go up. And I'm trying to move this box spring kind of like six inches at a time, and it's fighting me every step of the way. So I'm pulling, I'm tugging, I'm pushing, I'm contorting my body in all these weird ways. And I'm thinking halfway up going, this is really dumb. I should have just called my dad. I should have called a friend. Yeah, that would have been a lot better, right? <laughs> then we both would have been hurt. But I didn't. I pressed on. I said, I got to get this thing to the top of the driveway. I eventually did. I leaned it up against the garbage cans, which is kind of precarious too, because they wanted to push against each other. But I got it up there. I got it against the garbage cans. And uh, I wasn't feeling great, but I don't think I did anything horrible to myself. Well, about... 24 hours or 12 hours, I would say, went by. And I had some of the worst back pain I've ever experienced in my life. Work, worst back spasms. I've never felt pain that bad. I was laid out for like three or four days with these back spasms. And it, then it dawned on me right then. That was dumb. That was dumb, moving that box spring by myself. Now I have to pay for that. I had to learn the hard way that I needed help in order to do something. You ever been there? Unfortunately, we have to learn the hard way sometimes. Our plan today, though, is to learn the easy way, okay? To learn the easy way that we need others in order to accomplish something. And that's where we get our title for today. We're calling it Unity with Diversity for the Sake of Love. Unity with Diversity for the Sake of Love. Join us in Ephesians chapter 4 as we look at verses 4 to 16. Listen to the Word of God. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit 
just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's our text today. We're calling it Unity with Diversity for the Sake of Love. We have two goals that we're going to set before us today, two goals that we hope to get to. Goal number one is this, to see that the same grace was given to each one of us Christians. This is a Christian message today for people who have trusted in Jesus. The same, the same grace was given to each one of us for different tasks and roles so that the church would be unified, would be strong, would be mature, and would be well-equipped. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to see that love is the reason for our unity, for our diversity, and for every one of our God-given gifts. Love is the reason. Those are our two goals that we hope to get to today. We need to remember, this is a letter. I say this about every week, but this is a letter that we're continuing on in, okay? It's, it's hard sometimes to preach because you have to sort of chop up a message. You have to take one complete thought and break it down into segments because you're not able to get to every part of it. But we have to remember where we're coming from. We need to remember that this is right after the Apostle Paul describes to us what our calling is. He did that at the beginning of chapter 4. Here's your calling. This is what you need to live by. And we need to remember that because he said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. We need to remember that calling. That calling is that we are children of God, citizens of heaven, and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But we also need to remember a little bit of chapter 3 as well. That would be helpful too because we need to remember that this is still based upon the overwhelming gift of God's deep love towards us. You remember that gift? Do you remember that love? The depth, the breadth, the height, the length of the love of Jesus Christ that came to us so that we might be impacted by that love. That we might radically devote ourselves to Jesus. Those are important to remember. We've been impacted by that love. We should be impacted by that love. And we have a calling that we have been called to. We need to remain focused upon that profound love today, even with the wafting chili smell. We need to remember and remain focused upon Christ's profound love for us. We need to remain focused upon our calling. And we need to remain focused upon the Lord Jesus himself, 
who is worthy for us to walk worthy of that calling. Okay? We have to keep those as our focus as we go forward here. And if we can keep that focus, then we can appreciate what Paul is about to teach us because what he's about to teach us is really profound, really helpful. Paul has also taught us at the beginning of chapter 4 that unity within the church is the most profound way that we live out our calling. Unity, togetherness, oneness is the most profound way to live out our individual and corporate callings as Christians. And we need to remember that. This is the means that we're going to talk, to talk about today to accomplishing that calling. Unity. And I have to say this today. The devil hates this message. He does. The devil hates this message. Because imagine, any one really strong Christian, really wise Christian, a Christian who's been around a long time, a Christian who's seen a lot, a Christian who's learned a lot, take the strongest Christian you can imagine, and pit that person against the devil by themselves. Do you, do you imagine that that might be an outmatched, uneven match? The strongest Christian that you can think of versus the devil who is smarter, stronger, craftier, and been around for generations, thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, that's not an even match. And the devil knows that. That's why he likes us when we're divided. He likes us when we're singular because he can take us down quite easily. But if we turn the tables on the devil and we become unified, we become together, we take our strengths and we match it with all the other strengths of the body of Christ, and we pit that against the devil. Do you see what happens now? Now the devil has a much, much harder task because now we're stronger because God backs us. God has invested this plan as the church, as his singular only plan. So when we come together and we do it God's way, we become strong, we become determined, we carry one another's burdens, we help each other, and now when we're against the devil, he has a much, much harder job. Can you imagine why he might hate this message? That one singular thing can turn the tables, can turn the tides against him. If we stay divided, we stay small and we stay insignificant. If we come together He's in trouble. And every time I talk about unity, every single time, whether it be here or in the previous part of my ministry with college students, there is an attack in my mind, in my soul, against this message. I saw it in Michigan. I saw it here in Pennsylvania as I prepared for it this week. There was an attack from the devil. Have you had a hard week? I'm guessing many of us have, because the devil hates this message. He doesn't want us talking about this today. If I, were, if I were him, I'd be saying something like, oh no, they're talking about unity. They're trying to unify. We've had them divided. We've had them singular. We've had them where, right where we want them. And now they're talking about unity once again. We have to send everyone. We have to send every attack we have against them. Because if we learn this today, and we focus on this today, and we strive together today, we turn the tables on the devil. That's how profound this is. And we start making an incredible, profound impact against evil and for the sake of God's kingdom. So that sets the stage for what Paul is about to tell us. Because we, he's going to say to us today four really profound things. And we're going to look at number one right now. Number one is this. We receive the same grace from the same Lord. Verses 7 to 10. Listen to verse 7 again. 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have learned this already, we have, but Paul reiterates that all Christians have the same Lord who bestows the same grace on every single one of us. Okay? These are unifying truths because there's no entitlement in the Christian life. There's no different classes in the Christian life. There's no privileges, special privileges for individual Christians. Everyone gets the same Lord and gets the same grace from that same Lord. And those are unifying truths. Because if we know that, then we understand, oh, we're one. We're one. And we all have the exact same opportunity to serve our Lord by that grace that he provides. We have the same opportunity that we can serve him in the roles and the gifts that he's given us. Yet, as we'll discuss here in a little bit, it is true and it is good that God, that Christ gives different measures, different amounts of that grace for the very tasks that he calls us to. Because some tasks require more grace. Some tasks are harder. And that's good, and that's, that's unique from our God, that he would call people to special, really hard tasks, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, and he would give the necessary measure of grace to match that task. But we have to understand here today, these are gifts. This is not a point system. My wife and I have instituted this point system with our child children that I don't know if it's going to be good or not. We're just sort of trying it, where we have given them chores to do and things to clean up and if they do it they get points and if they get points they can turn those points in for rewards it's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese without without all the trappings um, that's not what we're talking about here today okay this is not a point system these gifts this grace that we've been given is by God's mercy by God's great love for us okay it is not a point system none of this is what we've earned we all earned punishment God gave us redemption, and then he gives us these gifts as his, an extension of his love. But we need to know that this is the same grace. I need to reiterate, this is the same grace. Again, with children, if I get one kid, we have six children. If I get one kid a, a cool gift <clears throat> reward, and the other ones get something kind of lame, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be a fight. There has been fights, and there will be again. There's going to be bickering, right? That's, that's not going to work out well. And God wants us to know today it's the, same, it's the same grace. It's the same opportunity. Everyone has the same opportunity to serve their Lord in the gift that he has given them. And that's a unifying truth that we're one. We are one. In verses 8 to 10, Paul gives us an interesting footnote here that I'm going to reread because this is an interesting phrasing here. In verses 8 to 10, he says, Therefore it says, When he... Jesus ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Anyone confused? That's an interesting footnote. I was reading from the New American Standard Version, and I did that on purpose. Normally I use the English Standard Version. But I think the translation of the NASB is a little bit better today when he says, He ascended on high, and he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Paul is describing about how these gifts that he's about to elaborate on came to us. How did we get these gifts? Where did they come from? And Paul quotes King David from Psalm 68, verse 18, and proves to us that it, to some degree at least, King David saw or knew Jesus was going to ascend into heaven one day and 
bring gifts to men. That's what it says in Psalm 68, 18. And so Paul is quoting that and using that to help us understand where these gifts came from. And he says he led host a captive. He led, he led captive, excuse me, a host of captives. <clears throat> and I think this is what this means. Those things that had held us captive, sin, death, and the devil that held us prisoner and hostage for years, most of our life, when Jesus conquered them with his resurrection, he went up to heaven and he took the most dominant posture imaginable. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, signifying his complete victory and domination over those that had led us captive. Death, sin, and the devil. Jesus went up, he ascended back to heaven, he received the name that is above every name, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And you know what he did when he did that? He took captive those things which held us captive. Isn't that cool? He took prisoner those things which held us prisoner. God took them prisoner. I think that's an amazing thing to know. And now they're his hostages. Now death and sin and even the devil have no control over us if we're in Christ. We are victors over them. And the, the obvious conclusion we can come to is that Jesus gained that victory by himself. And Hebrews says he sat down. He sat down on that throne and that signifies total and complete victory over our enemies, over his enemies. It says that these things are going to be a footstool for his feet. Death, sin, and the devil are going to be Jesus' future ottoman, his future footstool in heaven. That's what it says in scripture. I love that. I love that the things that held us captive, that held us prisoner, Jesus went up and, and took the posture, the position of dominance, of victory on the right hand of the throne of God, signifying to us it's all been won. You are victors. If you're with me, I've conquered them and they no longer hold you captive. In fact, I hold them captive. Isn't that a wild thought to know? Isn't that amazing to know? And so we are eternal victors. We've talked about this in an entire book called First Peter. We need to remember that, though, that we are eternal victors. That's really important to know because it matters about how we live and how we fight in the Christian life. We're not, we're not fighting as, as losers. We're not fighting as people who have no power or victory at all. We are quite the contrary. We are on the winning team with our Lord as our captain. And Paul wants us to remember that. And he says this in verse 9, that Jesus' ascension is only possible because he first descended into the earth. That makes sense, right? You can only go up if you're down. You can't go up if you're already up. So that's what Paul is saying. He ascended into heaven. That's what ascension means. He went back up into heaven. And that has to prove to us that Jesus first descended into the lower parts of the earth. That's what Paul says. Well, what does that mean? Why is he stating that here? What is the point, Paul? that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, what he could mean by that is a couple things. He could mean this figuratively. When Jesus came, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He served the very creation that he created. Is that lowly? That's incredibly lowly. In fact, it's impossible to go lower than that. Jesus went from the only begotten Son of God in heaven to nothing, to serving mankind, to becoming a servant. So when Paul says that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, that's very well what he could mean. 
is Jesus took the most humiliating position imaginable, serving his own creation. Or he could mean this quite literally, that when Jesus was dead and was buried, he was buried inside a tomb, and he was literally in the lower parts of the earth. Either way, what Jesus did by descending upon this earth, which, again, I don't know if that hits us like it should. When Jesus was in heaven, he was praised, he was adored. Angels and angelic and heavenly beings praised him night and day. And then all of a sudden he came to earth where people mocked and rejected him and hurt him and crucified him. So Jesus' dissension was one of complete and utter humility. And the Lord Jesus deserves exaltation, doesn't he? He deserves to be exalted. He deserves to be high and lofty and lifted up. For, but for a time, our Lord Jesus was lowly. He was a servant of man. He was a representation of death and shame for the sake of sinners. Is that you? Did Jesus step into the place of death and shame for you? He did for me. The most humiliating thing he could do, he did for the sake of love. But, this is why the story continues, because Jesus descended and humbled himself and sacrificed himself for sinners, God exalted him. He ascended back into heaven and God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, Jesus. That name signifies King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He went from the lowest place of humility to the highest of heights that he possibly could. And that's important to know. That our Jesus is not lowly anymore. Our Jesus is not a servant anymore. Our Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. Other lords and other kings will bow to him. And Paul tells us this too, that when he ascended back into heaven, he got us the gifts for the church that we sometimes call spiritual gifts or gifts of the ministry. Jesus went up and got those gifts for us by his Holy Spirit. And those are the gifts that we're going to talk about today. He got those gifts when he went up. And Jesus has the right and total authority over his church. So he decides how best to run the church. So when he gives gifts to us, which we'll talk about, they are exactly what he wants us to have for the exact purpose of serving God and his glory. But these gifts are from heaven. You guys, sometimes in life, it not only matters what you get someone, but where you got that something. I don't know if this matters to you or anybody in this church, but if you were to get someone a piece of jewelry, wouldn't that be special? I've given my wife pieces of jewelry from time to time. And although I've never done this, I've heard that it would be kind of cool, kind of important, that if you gave someone a piece of jewelry, if it came from Tiffany, if it had a Tiffany box with the jewelry in it, okay? So you give someone a piece of jewelry and it comes from Tiffany's. I've heard, I've never done this, but that would be even more special because it's not just jewelry, now it's Tiffany jewelry. Or maybe you've heard the old phrase a few years ago, they had a commercial where uh, people were giving each other jewelry and the girl was saying to their girlfriend, he went to Jared. Do you remember that? He went to Jared. Is Jared cool? I don't know. But that was a, that was a thing for a while going, look, not only did he get me jewelry, but he went to Jared. Not only did our Lord Jesus give us spiritual gifts, but he went to heaven. He went to heaven to get those gifts. Isn't that amazing? If there was a box on these gifts, and there isn't because they're spiritual, but Paul is telling us today these gifts came from heaven. These gifts, these spiritual gifts, these gifts of the ministry 
that every single Christian has came from Jesus from heaven. That's pretty special, isn't it? So number two is this. What gifts? For what reason? What gifts are we talking about and why do we have such gifts? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus has varied gifts that he has given to his church. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list Paul is about to give us, but the gifts that he specifically mentions here in Ephesians chapter 4 are gifts of leadership. Okay, When he says prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, I mean, it's right there. Those are gifts of leadership that are given to some for the building up of the entire body of Christ. These gifts are not given to everybody. They are given to some, but it's for the entire body of Jesus to be built up with. That's why these gifts are given to some. These roles, these leadership roles, take different measures of Christ's grace because some roles in the church are harder. It's just that honest. And they require more grace and more knowledge from God. And God knows that. When he calls pastors, he has to give them a special amount of grace in order to do that task. Because that task is hard. It takes a lot to do it properly. And Christ gives the exact measure of grace you need in order to do the role that he's called you to. Isn't that great to know? You have exactly what you need in order to do what God has called you to do. So pastors are the same. Even though pastor is a harder role. God and Christ give you the exact same grace you need to accomplish it. And I'm thankful for that grace because I couldn't do what I've been called to do without that grace. But neither can any of us. Neither can any of us. If we don't have God's grace, there's no way we can serve him. But the gifts of leadership are not for boasting in. They're not. They're not for thinking of anyone as more valuable. No, they're not. On the contrary, the gifts of leadership are given so that the entire church are all equipped for the exact same reasons. And we're going to talk about what those reasons are because Paul mentions them. So he gave gifts to some, special gifts of leadership, for building up the entire church so we can all be equipped for the exact same reasons. But it makes sense why God would do it that way, right? Because certain things require more grace. If, if the military was going to buy equipment, don't they need pretty good equipment? Do you think the military needs better equipment than I need for mowing my lawn or shoveling my driveway? They do. Why? Because they're in battle. They need pretty good equipment, pretty good armor, pretty good weaponry. And so God, when he calls people to certain hard tasks, gives them exactly what they need for that task. But let's look at what Paul says are the reasons that we are given these gifts, okay? Because they they run through verses 12 to 15, and we're going to run through these things a little quickly. And I'm going to mention them one right after the other. But this is why we are given these gifts. And these are the tasks for all of us. Okay, not just leaders. But these gifts of leadership are given so that we can help you get after these things and and get these things. So the first one is this, for the work of service. He says in verse 12, For the work of service. Leadership gifts are given to leaders to help everyone for the work of service. Like Pastor Mel and I, so that we could train you. So we can help you figure out where God has gifted you. So we can help you identify those gifts, help you train those gifts, and help you use those gifts inside the church. That's why God gave you pastors. That's why God gave you leaders. So we can help you understand how you can serve him in the church. That's why. So these gifts are for every single one of us. He's already starting by telling us that, that every single leadership gift has been given to you for your work of service. 
Number two, he says, for the building up of the body of Christ. In my own words, I think this, what, what, what this means is foster encouragement. Building up is a, an encouraging thing. It's an edifying thing. That's what the church should be doing. We talked about this at our mentoring seminar yesterday, how mentoring should be encouraging, not discouraging. It should be building up and strengthening and helping. Well, that's what your pastors, your leaders were sent to do, is to help you be built up, be strengthened, be encouraged, find the confidence that you have been given gifts from God to serve his church. But that's a task for every single one of us. That's what every single one of us should be doing, is building up the body of Christ. Are you? Are you being used to build up and strengthen and encourage the body of Christ? Is there any greater task in the church than that, than to strengthen the thing that God says, this is my plan. This is what I've poured the blood of Jesus into. Strengthen that. Encourage that. Build that up. That's a pretty important task. And so that's the second thing Paul mentions that we should be doing, is building up the body of Christ. Number three, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's unity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, come together to show Jesus. That's the gifts of leadership that were given for you, is that we would help everyone come together and see Jesus. I hope if we can say anything about Wyoming Valley Church, we do that. We come together and we show Jesus. Because that's the point of these gifts. That we would unify us, we would come together, we would have things like chili cook-offs, but not just for the sake of the chili, for the sake of knowing and loving Jesus more. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And, said, and then he says, until we all become mature. Mature, right? He's going to say later on that we sh should stop being children. Uh, there's an aspect in the Christian faith where you should remain like a child in your simple faith kind of way, that you look to Jesus for everything, you look to God for everything. But in some respects, we need to grow up. In some respects in the Christian life, we need to stop being children and we need to become mature. And the leaders have the goal, have the job of helping everyone become mature. We need to lead you in that. We do. Pastor Mel and I and your other leaders need to lead you in becoming mature in Christ. To know more. To think better. To walk better. To love better. To put away childish things. To put away things that are hurting you and become mature, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. But again, this is for everyone to become mature. You're not just your leaders. Your leaders are mature, so the whole church is mature. No, that's not how it works. Every single one of us needs to reach this maturity, and the pastors and the leaders need to lead us in that direction. It says, and then, until we all receive the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ... In my words, I would say we need to exhort you to follow Jesus, and we do. We exhort. Exhort means to push, to encourage, to say move forward, follow Jesus. Remember that Jesus you claim, remember that Jesus that you say you follow? Walk in that direction, move in that direction. Let's exhort everyone and every single day, that's what it says in Hebrews, to follow Jesus. Boy, I hope we do that. Not just Sundays, every day. 
to exhort us to follow Jesus until we attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Boy, that's a cool term. That one day we would be like Jesus. Like Jesus in everything. We would think like him. We would love like him. We would fight like him. We would trust God like him. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't that what the church should be doing to become more and more like our Lord Jesus? I hope you are. I hope you're growing to become more like Jesus. I hope you're more like Jesus today than you were one year ago or six months ago. And that's the goal of these leadership gifts. He says this, so that none of us are tossed around anymore by the waves and wind of false doctrines and the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. Now, a child in the faith, you would expect that to happen, right? I've seen infants in the faith. I've been an infant of the faith, and you have it sometime too. When you're an infant in the faith, you're kind of like a leaf on a windy day. And it doesn't take a lot for you to be blown here and there and all over. Something sounds logical. Something sounds rational. People are listening to this guy. So it's like, yeah, I should listen to that guy too. And for a while, it's, it's not okay, but it's understandable because you're an infant in the faith. But the goal of your leaders is to take us to maturity so that that doesn't happen anymore. So that we learn sound doctrine. We learn the ironclad things of scripture. So we learn best how to know truth, how to walk in truth. And when someone says something different, we can see it as plain as day going, that's not truth. That's not what my Jesus taught. That's not what my Lord did. And your leaders need to protect you and equip you to do that, to know truth. That when you hear truth, you understand it. And when you hear false things and, and false truths, you understand that as well, going, that's not truth. And we're all growing in that. We can all be deceived a little bit, but hopefully we're growing to become less and less like children that way. Less like fall leaves on a windy day. But we have to lead you in that. Your leaders have to lead you in that. We have to be men who are like that. We need to protect our sheep from things that would hurt you because there's a lot out there, unfortunately, under the guise of truth that really isn't truth. If you would walk into a Christian bookstore, you might feel quite comforted. You shouldn't. Honestly, you shouldn't because there's a lot of people writing books. There's a lot of people with opinions and podcasts. There's a lot of sermons on YouTubes, YouTube that's just not accurate. That's just not truth. But the only way to know if it's truth is to be in the scriptures, to know doctrine, and for your leaders to be leading you that direction. So pray for us that way, because that's a big task, so that we can all be more sound, be more tethered to the scriptures. And then he says, so that all of us will speak the truth in love with one another. I think that was the, uh, the, the legacy of the Ephesians church, is that they were walking in love. I want that to be the legacy of our church, that we always speak the truth in love to one another. Do you know how important that is? To speak the truth in love with one another. If you take one aspect of that away, and there's three things. You, first, you have to speak. You have to speak truth, and you have to speak truth in love. If you take any one of those away, none of us are blessed. If you don't speak, even though you have things to say, it doesn't help us. If you speak truth, but you don't do it in love, it doesn't help us. We all need to speak the truth in love. And Pastor Mel and I need to lead you in that direction. I have truth to tell you. The scriptures are always before you here on Sunday mornings, but I need to do this in love. We need to do it consistently. 
We need to do it regularly and we need to do it in love because that's how the church gets strengthened. Have you ever had someone tell you truth and not in love? You ever had someone tell you something that you kind of needed to hear but the tone was wrong or the timing was wrong? Isn't that hard to hear? That's tricky, isn't it? So we need truth. We need to know truth and then we need to speak that truth in love. Look at the job title for your pastors. I mean, this is hard. This is why we need a lot of grace. We need to lead everyone in these directions. The last thing he says is a big one. So that we would all grow up into the head, into Christ. Which means Pastor Mel and I need to desire this for all of us. We need to pray for this for all of us. We need to lead everyone in this direction. It's not just about having sermons or potlucks or getting together for little fun Christmas things. This is so that we become more like our Lord Jesus. We become more in our Lord Jesus. We become more obedient to our Lord Jesus, more devoted to our Lord Jesus. And hopefully that's the direction we're leading in now. But pray for us that way, because that's why Pastor Mel and I and your leaders have been called to lead all of us in this exact same direction. If someone's lagging behind, that's not good. That's not good. We need to all go this direction. If Pastor Mel and I are going this direction and you're not, that's not good. That's not good enough. We need to all reach the destination. In other words, unity. Unity. Unity is what Paul is saying. All of us going the exact same direction for the exact same goal. And these gifts of public ministry, such as pastors, are given so that every church member can receive the exact same privilege of serving Christ in our God-given and varied roles. So, pastors, right? That's why you've been given pastors. I hope that's a blessing to you. Because here's the thing. If I would win the lottery, you know who also wins the lottery? My family. I'm not going to play the lottery. If it ever happened, Janine would win the lottery. My kids would win the lottery. Here's the thing. If you've been given pastors that lead this way, that want this way, every single one of you get blessed. Not just the pastors. Every single one of us who buys into this plan wins also. So pastors should be a blessing. Pastors should be something that's helping you become equipped and become mature and that you look forward to listening to. So pray for us that way because we do have a hard task, but we do have God's grace and we do have a family that supports us. Number three, unity with diversity. <coughs> unity with diversity. Now, this one's really important because we need both. We need unity that we've talked about, and we need diversity within unity. That's important. The roles of service in the church and the spiritual gifts Christians receive, they're varied and they're numerous, and that's on purpose, okay? As unified as we're supposed to be, we need diversity within the church, we need every aspect of strength to make the church what it's supposed to be, right? You ever wish you had more hands? Anyone? Anyone with children wish you had more hands? Uh, Janine and I wish that almost every day of our life. We have six children, and we sometimes say to the children, be patient, we're not octopuses. We don't have eight arms. I wish I did have more arms, but I don't. But wouldn't that be great to have more hands just to get more stuff done? Have you ever thought that way? But what if you only had hands? What if you only had hands? Maybe you could think to, your, to yourself going, man, wouldn't it be great if we had a church of all pastors? Now that would be a strong church. I'm going to tell you right now, no, it wouldn't. 
No, it wouldn't, because Pastor Mel and I are gifted in certain areas and very weak in other areas. What we need in the church is not only pastors. We need diverse, varied, and numerous gifts. We do. The whole church has to have different strengths, because that's how the body is made. We don't have just arms, because if we had just arms, we'd only be able to feel for things. We wouldn't be able to see things, or sense things, or taste things, or hear things. We wouldn't have a brain to function. We need diversity. Look at all the ministries of Wyoming Valley Church. I'm probably going to forget a few, but we have a lot of ministries at Wyoming Valley Church. With a small church, we have a band. Pastor Mel and I are not in the band, and that's a very, very good thing. We have a tech team that serves us right now. We have children's ministry workers that should be praised every day for what they're doing back there with our children, right? We have cafe helpers. We have greeters. We have people who clean the building. We have people those who set up the building, just like we have today with tables and chairs. We have people who buy supplies for the church. We have people who read scripture for the sermon. We have people who are leading the women's ministry. We have deacons. There's a deacons meeting tomorrow night. We have finance team that leads this church. There are varied and numerous gifts at Wyoming Valley Church. And if that was left up to Pastor Mel and I to do all those things, this thing would be a train wreck. But we don't. We have varied and numerous gifts within Wyoming Valley Church, and that's a good thing. These roles that God has given, the public gifts, the service gifts, the uh, leadership gifts, I should say, excuse me, are hard. They are. They're the ones we typically glorify, but that is not what Christ intended. Because the public gifts are actually the most difficult and the costliest gifts. They are. They're not to be undertaken lightly. The gifts of leadership in Christ's church are not to be taken under lightly because those who serve in leadership gifts are held more accountable. More accountable for what they say and what they do than the layman. Pastor Mel and I will be judged more strictly than you are for what we do and what we say. Those are not to be undertaken lightly. We glorify them to say, wow, it's only the pastors, it's only the people on stage, but not really. In fact, those are the harder ones. Those are the ones that should be handled with more care. These roles are privileges, but they're not for the sake of glorifying man. They're for the sake of purpose. They're for the sake of honest, humble service to our Lord. And hopefully that's what we're doing here. And the church is a body, guys. It's a body. I mean, it, Paul talks about that. Jesus talks about that. The, the body of Christ is, is called that on purpose because it's like a body. It's like a physical body, only in a spiritual way. And it only functions when every part of the body is working and working together. I'm going to give you a couple kind of silly illustrations to help us understand this. But imagine if your head was working properly and nothing else. Okay, we call that a disability. If your head is working and you're numb below the head, that's a disability. Okay, your head might be the most important part of your body, but if nothing else is working on your body, that's a disability. Now picture if all your body was functioning, but it wasn't functioning properly. The body parts were all fighting one another. Or imagine if they weren't unifying and they all had their own separate agendas. What would the body be capable of? And the answer is nothing good. Nothing good. So imagine this. We want to run a marathon. 26.3 grueling miles of running. Okay? It's an honorable thing. Some of you guys in the church run. I don't run. Probably never run even a half marathon, let alone a full marathon. But imagine if you wanted to run a marathon. But your leg is completely numb, and you have pink eye, and you're grossly out of shape. 
Are you going to run that marathon well? Are you going to finish 26.3 grueling miles with a numb leg, pink eye, and out of shape? Probably not. Probably not. Let's be honest here. Running a marathon is hard. Your body has to function, and it has to function properly. So I've heard from people who run. Or imagine this. We've used this illustration before in this pulpit. But imagine if we got really ambitious and we wanted to scale Mount Everest. Right? Let's go hiking. Let's go up Everest. We wanted to scale Mount Everest, but our body parts were all fighting one another on the way up. Our leg was kicking our other leg. Our hand was slapping our face. Our, our, our leg was trying to run down the mountain. How well is that going to go? Scaling Mount Everest is really, really difficult. You have to be very trained. You have to be very knowledgeable. You have to have a lot of things go right. And if your body is all fighting one another, you're not going to do anything good. The body has to function properly, and it has to work together. Do you see the illustration, church? We all have very numerous gifts, and we all need to function properly, and we need to work together, or nothing good can be accomplished. It's just that honest. So the body of the church needs to all function, regardless of roles, and we need to all work together for the sake of of going the way the Lord has taught us. Living according to the calling we have received. And that's why I told you, we need to remember what that calling is. That calling has been a high bar. We need to live like children of God. We need to live like citizens of heaven. We need to live like ambassadors of Jesus. We need to do it with humility, with gentleness, with patience. We need to bear with one another in love. We need to all unify together. Do you see why I say Mount Everest? That's a high bar. How are we going to get there? How are you and I going to get there? How are we going to live according to our calling that God has given us with humility, gentleness, patience, love, and unity? We're going to do it together or we're not going to do it. And I'm thankful for every single person that serves at Wyoming Valley Church. I am. And I should say it more. But I'll also say this. We need more. We need more commitment. We need more people serving. Right now, we're kind of working together as a team. Most of us are. But we're limping along in some areas because we don't have everyone. We don't have everyone doing what God has called them to do, learning their gifts, being committed to the task, helping the church be built up and strengthened and mature. And we need you. We need you. And we're going to reiterate that once again. And the gifts, whether they're public or behind the scenes, are all incredibly important so that the goals Jesus gave us can be accomplished so that evil can be conquered and God's name can be glorified. Wow, we need everybody. We need every, all hands on deck for that one. For evil to be conquered and God's name to be glorified. See, pastors can lead, but we can't do it all. And we can't do it with just five or six people. We need every single person for this thing to go the way it's been. And I'm going to take the things Paul mentioned, the things that he mentioned are our goals, our the things we've been called to. And I want to, I want to look at it this way. Because if we're all serving, we'll all be built up. Okay? If we're all built up, we'll all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. If we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we'll all become mature. If we all become mature, we will all receive the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And if we all receive the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, then none of us will be tossed around anymore by the waves of false doctrine and Satan's trickery. And if none of us are tossed around anymore by the waves of false doctrine and Satan's trickery, 
we'll all speak the truth in love to one another. And if we all speak the truth in love to one another, then we'll all grow up into the head and all become like Jesus. But we need all of us. Do you see how vital you are to the body of Christ functioning like it should? You. We need you in order to become like Jesus, the way he desires. We need you serving. We need you praying for us. We need you encouraging us. We need you loving us. We need you in our corner supporting us. And we need you doing what the Lord has designed you to do so that our church is strong, so that our church is well-equipped, so that our church is built up into Jesus. And without each part, we have to compensate for the lack of it. Remember the story I told you about hurting my back? What was I able to do when my back was thrown out? Hardly anything. I could help nobody. I was no good at the church. I was no good to my wife. I was laid down in bed for days because one body part wasn't functioning like it should. Do you see that there? Do you see how important every single role in the church is? Maybe we can compensate for a little while if someone's lying down, if someone's hurt, if someone's not committed, but it's not going to go well, not long term. And very quickly, almost too quickly, let's get to the last thing he says. Number four, all of this is for the sake of love. For the sake of love, we just learned that the reason we should all invest in the church and all be unifying together and all serving together is for the sake of love. It's for the sake of us living out our calling, the calling that God has given to every single one of us. And in verse 16, Paul says that living according to our calling and becoming mature and becoming like Jesus is so that the entire church is strengthened that the entire church is built up. And this is not an individual goal we're talking about today. This is a corporate goal. A corporate goal. The church is made up of individuals, but the individuals make up one body, one team unit. The body, when fully working together and fully strengthened and fully mature, can accomplish God's will more than any one person or divided group of Christians can accomplish anywhere. I don't know if a lot of you are sports fans, but I'll use a sports analogy here. In football, we love to glorify which position? Even if you don't know football that well. The quarterback. The quarterback is everything in the NFL. If you're a good quarterback, then you're everything. Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady. Everything's about Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the best quarterback that ever played. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. But if, if you would ask Tom Brady why Tom Brady is Tom Brady, and people have, you know what he says? My offensive lineman. The guys that protect me are the reason I'm able to have time to throw to people or make decisions. But we glorify the quarterback because the quarterback is the one throwing the ball. He's the one, right? He's the one that's leading the team. But every quarterback knows without an offensive lineman, he's nothing. He's nothing. In fact, I've heard many good quarterbacks take their offensive linemen out for expensive steak dinners just to say thanks, guys. Thanks for what you do so that I'm not flat on my back all game long. See, Pastor Mel and I and your leaders, we have a very big job to do. And often we glorify the leaders and the pastors. It's all them. They do it all. They're great. But I'm going to be honest to you. If we have to take everyone up Mount Everest, if we have to take everyone to live according to their calling that we've received from Jesus Christ, we need support. 
We need what the offensive linemen are to quarterbacks. We need you supporting us, praying for us, encouraging us, holding us up, because our job is to lead you all properly, and that job is quite difficult. And the goal that we've learned in every part of Scripture, not just Ephesians, is love. Here's why I call it Mount Everest. Because the two greatest commandments God ever gave us are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you see it? That's a high mountain. Imagine if only a few individuals did that. How much profound impact are we going to have upon the world? The, question, the answer is not much. But what if the entire church was living that way? What if the entire church was striving to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you imagine how much love God would receive? Do you imagine how much light would be shed upon this dark world if we all were striving after that? See, we have a huge task to love God like he deserves to be loved. That is your goal every single day of your life. Love God like he deserves to be loved. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in that? Do you see why, why we might need one another? Do you see why you might need me and I might need you and you might need the person at your table and the person at the other table to help us get to that mountain, that summit? And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself always. How are you doing in that one? Are you loving your neighbor at all times like you love yourself at all times? Because that's the summit. And that's what we've been called to. And here's the honest truth. We can't afford to miss this. We can't afford to not love the Lord. We can't afford to not love our neighbor. It's not an option. God has called us to these tasks, and these tasks are commandments. The greatest commandments God ever gave man. And the only way we can love God according to the way he desires, if the only way we can love our neighbor according to the way God desires, is by coming together as one unit and helping each other do that. So how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to that summit? We need you. You need me. We need to all commit. We need to all invest. We need to all pray. We need to all support. And we need to be that way until the end. So quickly, our application is this. Do you see that unity and diversity in the church are both crucial? They're both crucial. That you have a significant role in God's church and that we need you investing your time, your talents, your devotion in order to accomplish our corporate calling from God. You are crucial to the success of Wyoming Valley Church. You are. Every single one of you. Number two, do you see that loving the Lord and loving others takes a lot of strength? And that strength is found in unifying together? Do you see why the devil might hate this? If we have to love the Lord our God, and we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're going to do that by ourselves, we're in trouble. And that's how the devil functions. He loves to divide us. He loves to make us small and insignificant because he knows we won't get to that summit without each other. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine not walking worthy of your calling. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus shedding his blood for you and we don't live according to our calling. Is that an option? Is that an option? Can we afford to miss this? I cannot. This is why I plead with you today. 
because I need you. I need you for me to get to the summit of Christianity. I need you, and you need me, and we all need one another. Paul's final remarks, I just want you to listen to what he says in verse 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I love that phrase. This calling, this church, this unity, this diversity, this love is all about Jesus. All of it. And it's all becoming like Jesus. The church has a massive opportunity and purpose that the world knows nothing of. To be like Jesus. To serve the King of Kings. To advance the kingdom of God for all of eternity. That is a high and great purpose, church. And I hope it's one you're investing in. The love we have received from Jesus is beyond any tools we have to measure it. And Christ asks and demands and commands our total surrender to his plan. Let us consider Jesus' love once again. Can we consider that love? Can we consider the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love that came to us while we were sinners? Can we consider that love one more time? His love is the reason we have life today. His love is the reason we have hope and life beyond the grave. Jesus is worthy of our total surrender, our total devotion to his church and his calling. And I want to ask this from you today. Have you bought into your calling? Have you bought into your church, to God's church? Because we need you and we can't do this without you. And at church family time this week, we're going to spend almost all of the time discussing about how we can use our gifts at Wyoming Valley Church and all do it together practically. I hope you would join us for that great discussion. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for this message today. I hope this was handled with great care. Father, we ask for your help. I ask for help for impacting the individual souls here, Father, so we can all come together and make this a corporate goal of loving you, of loving our neighbor, of living according to our calling. Father, show us best how to lead this church and help everyone who's a part of Wyoming Church get on board, invest their time, invest their talents, invest their energy so that you can come back one day and find your church that you died for, that you bled for, living according to the purpose that you've given us because you are worthy of it. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.